Okay, we are at uh, session four in our series, Finding Contentment in a Busy Life. And today we'll be looking at godly contentment. That would be page 44. Okay, so page 44. And as usual, we begin with the first question. And that is, what's your favorite collector's item? What's your favorite collector's item? How many of you collect stuff? Okay. So what's your favorite collector's item? Shoes. Shoes? Oh, I wouldn't want to see your closet. The magnets on the fridge. The magnets on your refrigerator, okay. Knife. Huh? Knife. Knives. Knives. Oh, okay. You like collect knives? Yeah. Is it um, the glass that you find on the beaches. Oh, yeah. So, you know, ice and smooth now. Okay. All right, interesting items. Shells. Shells? Okay. I like to collect money. I don't have any particular. You know what I mean? Huh? You know what? No. I don't like throw things away. <laughs> yeah, my wife always tells me, you got all those books in there, what are you going to do with them? You don't read them anyway, you want to get rid of them. Okay, I don't like getting rid of stuff. I think, I don't know when I'm going to need them. You know, I, I, I had a fellow that I worked with when we were living in Jacksonville. That man, he never threw anything away. And uh, he did a lot of stuff. He worked with the sounds, he was, he was an electrician. And I remember waking with him sometimes, he would say, um, he went to look for a tool, and he would say, boy, I know I got one of these, but I can't find it, so he'd go and buy another one, you know? And he was doing that all the time, you know? But he had this room, and he had all kinds of stuff in this room, but he could never find what he needed, but he said he knew he had them. Okay, let's look at... Um, Collectors. Okay, uh, Bible meets life. I want to read that one. For many of us, we collect other cultural arts and figures as too. As an adult, many of us still enjoy collecting certain items. This hobby includes the thrill of the hunt, organizing, displaying, and training with others. Unfortunately, collecting is more than a it is an obsession. Psychologists have identified a common trait among others. Those who compulsively collect anything and everything, that common trait is anxiety and hope. We have all experienced of feeling of security from something we have trusted. Even if that sense of security is short lived. But seeking security and contentment from him. Many of us know people who are on the line 
or while we have been crossed the line in becoming hoarders, right? You know somebody who are on the line, right? Or, or about to cross the line, become hoarders, right? We all know somebody like that. What is the point? Godliness is very gay. Right. Godliness with contentment, not discontentment now. With contentment is great gain. Possessions can give us a feeling of security. The center, that sentiment is left unchecked. That sentiment, if left unchecked, can lead to hoarding. If possessions give me security, then more possessions will give me more security. That is not just a problem in hoarders. Most of us feel better off with more possessions or at least better possessions. But the contentment we seek from such things eludes us. God offers a simpler approach to contentment. It grows out of a relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you brought us to this subject. Uh, sometimes we don't think about it. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would reveal to us things in our own lives that may be extreme and reveal some things about our lack of contentment and help us to be able to get our lives in order in that regard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's, uh, we have a couple of passages, but let me give you the setting. The church at Ephesus had run into serious problems because of false teachers who had influenced the congregation in harmful ways. Paul appointed Timothy to lead the church so the problems could be corrected and spiritual health restored. He wrote Timothy a letter in which he gave instructions on how to proceed with the needed corrections. The letter came to be known as 1 Timothy. In the letter, Paul addressed false teachings about money and possessions. So make sure you look for that. False teachings about money and possessions. There are a lot of false teachings in our world and in our churches today about money and possessions that people hold on to. I don't know if you, many of you saw the story. Uh, right after the hurricane, there was a news story about a family in Freeport, uh, Grand Bahama. Uh, it was on the news where the people lost their, their, their... And the woman was saying, all our beautiful furniture and everything is gone. And, 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 and then her husband was talking about how he was hiding in the attic, sitting on top of the, the air conditioning to, to save his life. But she ain't checking for that. All the beautiful furniture and all the dishes and everything gone. And all that's left is the frames, the studs that were left in the house. Everything was gone, you know? That's a good example of how people cling on to possessions. Possessions mean a whole lot more to people. I mean, she wasn't even thinking about, boy, my husband's life is spared. You know, and he was, and he was a pastor. And he was on the air conditioned lower in the ceiling. He said, I should save this life. But all she's talking about is all the beautiful furniture that's gone. She's a pastor's wife. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then some people have family members who love it away right before their eyes. They don't even help them. So she should yeah. be thankful that her husband and her husband is alive. Yeah. Okay, let's look at the first passage we have. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out. 
if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. First Timothy 6, 6-8. to Earlier in chapter 6, Paul spoke about false doctrine and healing greed. Paul's teachers were, twist, was, were twisting God's truth to mislead people into believing that godliness would result in material gain. They were not motivated by a desire to please God. Instead, they were motivated by a desire to gain the riches of this world. This isn't godliness, it is greed. This unfortunate false teaching resides in the hearts of many today. Over two-thirds of American churchgoers believe God wants them to prosper financially. Most churches lift up the doctrine of grace. We were, recipi we, we were recipients of God's grace, a grace we do not deserve. Yet we often act like our acts of service, devotion, and giving will receive some form of reward from God. In fact, 38% of churchgoers believe God rewards us when we give to the church. Unfortunately, I have been there. I would never have preached this false doctrine, but at one point I was living it. When I was single, I patiently waited for God to provide a wife. It was a fa it was it was faithful as I it was as faithful as I could be. I even fasted from dating for a whole year, and it wasn't easy. Surely God would bless my faithfulness to Him and provide a wife at the end of the year. I had earned it. But the years just passed. By the time I was 25, I was sure that God had called me to be single for the rest of my life. But I couldn't understand why. Why hadn't God blessed my faithfulness? Then it hit me. I had been using my pursuit of godliness as a down payment for the things I wanted God to provide me for. I had been using God to fulfill my own desires. I did love Him and wanted to please Him, but my motives weren't for His glory. I was motivated by what I might gain. Greed and godliness can never dwell in the same heart. One will be the a resident and the other will be the occasional visitor. Hmm. Paul gave the antidote in in faith. First, sorry, verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. True gain comes when godliness is married to contentment. The word Paul used for contentment is Artikia. Artikia. It means to be fully satisfied with what one has. It is fully sufficient. Paul used the same word in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make every grace flow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel and in, and in every good work. Emphasis added. In, in the context of 1 Timothy 6 and 6, then godliness is fully sufficient to give us all we need to be satisfied. Paul then added this sobering statement, for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out. We should be thankful for the basic things like food and clothing. The simple pleasures of life should satisfy us. When we are not content with simply having life, having our daily needs met, we become discontent and push for more and more. Perhaps a new job will fix the content, discontentment. If this old car doesn't make me content, perhaps a new one will. 
mm. or maybe it's a new wardrobe or even worse a new spouse mm. the enemy loves the discontent heart discontent heart but contentment rests with the simple pleasures of life that come from God okay thank you that's a mouthful eh interesting but notice uh, Paul's words about wealth uh, godliness accompanied by contentment is great gain godliness con- accompanied with contentment is great gain uh, you have that and you don't have to worry about nothing else and then godliness has to do with growing in Christ mature believers reflect the character of Christ in what they think what they say and how they behave pleasing the lord becomes all that matters to godly believers that's all that matters to god is pleasing god am i doing what is pleasing to god am i doing what god wants am i doing what makes god happy that's what god, uh, godly believers do contentment carries the idea of living in a way that's independent of circumstances In other words, contentment means your circumstances would not bother you, would not dictate to you, would not cause you to worry and have anxiety and pull your hair out if you have any. (laughs) And then, because of Jesus, we have enough. We are enriched by the certain peace He alone can give. And the peace that comes from the Lord is peace the Bible says that surpasses all understanding. In other words, all hell could be broken loose in your life and you have peace and people around you don't understand why you have such peace. You see, the peace that you have surpasses their understanding. They can't understand why you're having that peace. And that's what the Bible is talking about when we talk about peace that surpasses all understanding. You may not understand it, the world definitely will understand it, but God knows what He's doing and we can rest in that assurance. And then we have stored up spiritual treasures that last for eternity. That's contentment. Storing up spiritual treasures that last for eternity. Uh, But then he gives us a little bit more uh, explanation about the ancient adage that is still true today. And that is, we bring nothing into this world, we can take nothing out. You come into this world naked as a jaybird, and that's the same way you leave, right? We can't take it, can't take it with us. We can take nothing out, even though some people have tried. There are people who have had some really crazy ideas. Fellow got buried in his Cadillac. You know, I wonder how many plots in the graveyard that took. Right? But that was his wish. He got buried in his Cadillac. Uh, Job reminds, Job's reminder that we are naked when we came into the world and we will be naked when we leave is a constant reminder for us. Right? Um, you may request it, but the morticians probably wouldn't do it. Uh, you may want some stuff to go in your coffin with you. But they may not comply. All right. Uh, according to, there may be some laws that would restrict them from doing that. But then Paul gives us a perspective on what really counts as profit. He says, food and clothing. In Paul's day, the necessities for life basically included something to eat, something to wear. That's basically it. Didn't need anything more than that. 
Mature Christians today live by the same principle. We are content with having what's necessary to meet the basic needs of our lives. That's what a mature Christian does. They don't overdo it by hoarding, having a bunch of stuff so people can see what they have and then they can brag about it. Question number two. Why does contentment seem so elusive today? Why do you think? People are trying to get the next best thing. Like, okay, they might have a flat screen TV. Now they got to get one with all the... Yeah. All the bells, bells and whistles. So you got to oh, you have to get a bigger one. So you're always trying to get the best and the best or the latest. <laughs> yeah, and then and then and then if if, if Miss Jones have a next door, why can't I have a two? Yeah, she got one with the, the whole wall, so you have to have one that comes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so it makes contentment very elusive today because people want what they see. Uh, in my days, they used to call that big eye. Yeah. They still call it that? Yeah, big eye. Big eye. Big eye. You, whatever you see, you want. Okay, I, I remember uh, I knew uh, uh, two believers who were in the same church, and they were neighbors, and they, they uh, began quarreling with one another, and they became. Uh, um, quarrels and neighbors because of possessions. Wow. One started to accumulate and the other other one did one had a business, he had a successful business, and so quite naturally his home reflected the success of his business. But the other one um, he didn't have it and so it began a quarrel and then one left the church because of that. And he went to another church. And so it happens uh, it happens uh, all the time. Next, we will see another famous adage and its implications for believers. And that, that, that next passage is 6, verse 76, 9 to 11. Who want to take that one? For those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Have you ever had a craving for something sweet in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of those cravings so strong that they cause a person to get out of bed, get dressed, get in the car, and drive to the store. That's a lot of work to fill a craving. Mm. But what we crave can have a lot of power over us, so much so that it can cause us to go out of our way to satisfy it. Paul warned about another craving, the craving of riches. The difference in the craving for a snack and the craving of riches is that, that the latter will lead to ruin and destruction. Craving riches is not just foolish, it's harmful. It's not the mere presence of riches that brings harm, it's the craving, the desire for those riches that are so dangerous. Such desires are a trap set to capture our hearts and guide us away from finding contentment in the things of God. Our flesh, our sinful human nature, will always crave the things of this world and never satisfy. If Satan can capture our hearts, then he can set us in motion on the path to destruction. All kinds of evil grow out of people's love for money. The most dangerous thing this craving can cause is a wandering from the faith 
At this point, people do not necessarily deny their faith, but they no longer let it play a role in their lives. If we don't seek our contentment in the godly life in Christ, our hearts are left open for the enemy to fill. We are susceptible to whatever the culture throws at us. Paul gave Timothy an alternate course, flee from these things. Sound advice for sure, but by itself it is not enough. It is one thing to flee from. It's equally important to consider what we run to. Paul called Timothy and us to pursue six traits. Righteousness and godliness. These two traits have to do with our personal integrity, upright conduct before others, and our relationship to God. Faith and love. These two traits speak to our trust, dependability, and actions toward both God and others. Endurance and gentleness. We need staying power in the face of difficulties and gentleness in dealing with difficult situations and people. Okay. Have you ever noticed verse 10? How that is most, most is misquoted? Yes. People say money is the root, money is the root of all evil instead of the love of money. And many people misquote that a lot. Uh, but Paul points out uh, some other words with negative connotations to describe the dangers of desiring riches or wealth. Notice he says they fall into temptation. How many times have you heard stories of people who wanted wealth and they fall into temptation? And then he says they fall into a trap. And we know what a trap does, right? Yeah. You get into it and you can't get out. All right, nobody wants to be trapped. Nobody wants to feel trapped. Okay, and so they say they fall into a trap. And he says they, they have foolish and harmful desires. And some of those desires are just unpredictable and ridiculous. Some of the things that people have in terms of desires. And he says they will be plunged into ruin and destruction. And people don't think about that. They don't think about the ruin and destruction that their quest for richness, riches and wealth uh, will bring. Uh, that eludes them. They don't ever think about it. Okay, quickly as we move on. Question number three. How can we recognize when money is becoming an idol? How can we recognize that? When money is becoming an idol. What is an idol? Worship. Something you worship, right? Something that you bow down to, that you give into, that you give your all to. So how do we recognize when money is becoming an idol? When you keep thinking about it all the time. Thinking about it all the time, okay. Maybe when you're working all the time, you just need to make more, make more, make more. Okay, working to make more. When you're putting it before the Lord. When you're putting it before the Lord. Okay. Say what? Saving it because you want to save it for a trip or something. Okay. Saving it. So your money is actually dictating your life. Okay. The money is, is, is running your life, basically. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Paul's choice of words in verse 10. Uh, when he talks about money and the Christian, when he, when he warns Christians about, uh, about money, he says, uh, he didn't say money itself is evil. He says the love of money is evil. Money is neutral. We need money for everything. We get all this money coming in from different uh, 
uh, countries right now to help in the hacker relief. Is that evil? No, that's good. You are you you you. When you go to the grocery store, you need money, right? Is that evil? No. Okay, you need clothes to wear. You know, nobody wants to walk around naked, even though some people try to do it anyway. And if it's made legal, they'll do it. Okay, but you know, you need money to to survive and to do to meet your basic necessities of life, right? Uh, so money isn't evil. It's the love of money that is evil. Money is neutral. It is neither is neither bad nor good, uh, but it is used for bad things. Our problem with money has to do with the harmful ways we can love it. When we love money, we're headed for trouble. Big time. Loving money can't be blamed for every evil in the world. However, it can take the blame for more than a few heartaches in the believers' lives. Okay, there are many people who have some serious heartaches because of what they allowed money to do to them. Six traits Paul uh, called Timothy and us to pursue. Notice righteousness and godliness. These traits concern our personal integrity, upright conduct before others, and our relationship with God. And then faith and love. Notice they're in, two, they're in twos. Faith and love. These two traits speak to our trust, dependability, and actions toward God and others. And then endurance and gentleness. We need staying power, or what we may call stickability, in our face of difficulties. So for some people, as soon as trouble gets up, push crack, I'm gone. Right? We need staying power in the face of difficulties and gentleness in dealing with difficult situations and people. Many of you saw the movie Overcomer, right? How many of you want to see that? Remember the man in the hospital who was sick who he said, what happened when troubles and stuff come in his life? What's cracked? Man gone. Okay, he didn't stick around to deal with the problems and difficulties. Question number four. How can we actively pursue one of the things Paul listed in verse 11? Verse 11. But flee. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Question, how can we actively pursue one of the things Paul listed in verse 11? Anybody? Pray about it. Pray about it. That's the first thing. Commit it to Lord. Lord, this is a problem I have. I commit this to you. I ask, Lord, that you would help me to overcome. That's the first step that you need to do. Once you start with that, then you're on the right track. Next, we will discover... Instruct specific instructions Paul gave to those believers who were rich. Verses 17 to 19 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Last one. Who want to take that one? Instruct those who are rich in First Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hopes.
keywords, the present age, verse 17, the time frame in which people live before they die, and those words, the here and now, in a world that is only temporary, the age, the coming age, verse 19, the time frame for life that never ends in a world that lasts forever, in other words, in the future and for eternity. Paul's warning about the love of many applies to all of us. Rich, poor, and in between. In verse 17, Paul issued a warning to those who are riches. I love the language he used here. Rich in the present age. Many riches we possess are only in this present age. They will transfer to age to come. Paul's instructions for intended to guide rich in how they should live with their temporary current riches. Don't be arrogant. Riches can easily cause people to believe they are better than others because they have more. This arrogance is wrapped up in pride and entitlement. Don't place your hope in wealth, which is uncertain. Money can give us a false sense of identity and a false sense of security. Material things are wrong to end one day. We place our hope, our full confidence and trust and wealth is like driving a car and never expecting it to run out of gas. Wealth will disappear, and when it does, so will our hope. Hope in God. It's a whole different story when our hope rests in God. We have riches in God, but a different type of riches. God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Emphasis added. God doesn't provide so that we can just exist. He gives us abundant of, oh, sorry, an abundant life. John 10, 10. And we can enjoy what He richly provides. God is not opposed to owning riches. He is opposed to riches owning us. As the easy way to determine who owns home is to look at your receipts for the past month. How you spend your money reflects your heart. For where you treasure there your heart will be also. Set your hope and trust in Christ. Do what is good. Want to be rich? Be rich in good works. Give. Be generous. Share. This is the cure for the craving of merely sorry, of mere goodly riches. When you rich with this, they are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age. Giving here on earth is a deposit in heaven. Generosity on earth for the sake of God's kingdom results in treasures in heaven. I opened my first savings account at the age of 22. Each month I place a specific amount into this account, and I love to watch the balance flow. This was not a big deal at first, but I became obsessed with seeing the increase in my savings. I became so focused on the increase of my savings that I found reasons not to tie to my church or give anywhere else. I justified my disobedience by saying things like, I do not trust how many tie is being used by the church. I do not like the preaching. I will give when I make more money. The truth was I did not want to give because I was greedy and I wanted more money in my account. This savings account began to ruin me and I became enslaved to my own riches. I found a way to break this entrapment. I began giving again. The only cure for greed is generosity. 
generosity was unbelievably hard for me. But only the first few times I saw trans transform into a cheerful giver. Second Corinthians 9:7. I could give freely and experience what we had done. Okay, that's a mouthful. But a couple of points. Uh, basically, four points we wanted to remind you of that. And that is a guide to the rich on how to live with wealth. And that is, be arrogant. don't be arrogant. Okay? Don't place your hope in wealth because wealth is uncertain. The stock market crash one day and everybody lose everything they have. Okay? Hope in God and do what is good. And the last question, how do we maintain a healthy balance between money and contentment? You do those four things and you'll be in shape. All right? Our time is gone, so let's look at live it out. Page 53. How will you pursue godliness with contentment? Three points. Be content. Begin your day every day with a focus on Christ. Ask Him to transform your thoughts from self to living a godly life for Him. Commit to finding your contentment in the things God provides and choose to live for Him. Secondly, be accountable. If you struggle with craving and buying things to give you a sense of security and contentment, choose someone you trust to be your coach and mentor, holding you accountable for how you spend. Seek a person who will encourage you to find your contentment in God alone. And then thirdly and finally, be generous. If you're not in the habit of giving, start. Give faithfully through your church. When you see a need, forego a purchase for yourself and step in to help with the need. Three very good points. You can choose one, or you can choose two, or you can choose all three. Okay, but that's our marching orders for the week. And so we need to be reminded that uh, we need to evaluate our perspectives on money and wealth, being sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives and His ability to convict us when we are out of balance in our view of riches and possessions. That's, what, that's His job. All right, so when you are tempted to use money in a way that uh, one mind tells you you really shouldn't do it, that's the Holy Spirit telling you that. Okay, listen to Him. Okay, He's there to help. He has been called in the Greek a paraclete. And a paraclete is one called alongside to help. And a lot of times I believe the Holy Spirit is disappointed because He comes along to help us and we just ignore Him. And He's there to give good advice. He's the best financial counselor you can have. Use Him. Okay, many people spend money for financial counselors and financial coaches and the Holy Spirit is free. You don't charge you nothing. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, help us to always keep godliness in the equation in regard to our values when it comes to money. Order our steps. Guide us, we pray. Help us to be attentive, especially to your spirit in the form of that still small voice. Bless us now as we leave this room, but not your presence. Guide us and direct us, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.